General Jim Mattis, 40 years in the U.S. Marine Corps. <clears throat> Marionette Young asked me a question about the toughest decision that I've ever had to make while I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, do you regret the decision and would I have done anything differently? Well, Marionette, when we go into the Marine Corps, we swear to obey orders and carry them out to the best of our ability and defend the Constitution. So I've not regretted those decisions. And, and one of the toughest uh, that I could mention to you was after being ordered to attack into the city of Fallujah, uh, I was ordered to halt the attack deep inside the city. And during that first and ultimately aborted tech ordered to withdraw our Marines and sailors out of the city they had fought for and they had lost some of their buddies in that fight. It was a difficult uh, decision. Uh, it was a decision taken for reasons that had nothing to do with the tactical situation on the ground. I was concerned to a degree that the Marines would lose confidence in their leadership uh, because they didn't. I still recall a young saw gunner uh, being interviewed by a television crew talking about how terrible he must feel that he was being ordered out of the city and he was a slow-talking marine from down south he just calmly looked into the camera and said doesn't matter we'll just hunt him down somewhere else and kill him and i bring this up because ultimately it's about the spirit of the marine corps that nothing nothing really can stop us and we just don't take refuge in self-pity or any of that kind of stuff. And so as a result, the Marine Corps remains a very feared organization in this world, as it should be. Uh, so tough decisions, tough times, and sometimes things don't go our way. Doesn't have anything to do with the decision we make about how we feel about it. Every Marine makes their own decision about how they're gonna react what happens to them. And that's what sets the Marine Corps apart, because when the times get tough, the Marines get tougher. GlobalRecon.net, giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. This is episode 67. I can't believe it's been 67 episodes in. And, um, you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of editing, and constantly trying to find guests to come on who would be interested and bring value for the audience. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy doing this. So... We have some interesting guys on for this episode. Uh, both of them are former 18 Deltas, Army Special Forces Green Beret medics. Uh, the first is my friend Michael Rodriguez, who's back on. This will be the second time he's on. Uh, he served for t 21 years uh, in the Army. The first time that he was on, we, you know, we spoke a lot about uh, his traumatic brain injuries, how it affected him, uh, some of the process that he went through in terms of 
identifying the problem and then beginning the the steps uh, taking the steps towards recovery and it's very interesting and I think it's it's great that a guy with his experience can open up and talk about some of that and the feedback that we got from that episode was really incredible with different combat veterans sending me messages saying hey that really helped me out and and that kind of thing so Michael also is on George Bush's uh President George Bush Jr's uh military advisory board and they do a lot of great work with veterans and uh he explained some of that uh in on the podcast so you'll hear that in a second and then the second guest on was Mark Belden. Mark is another former 18 Delta Army Special Forces Green Beret. He has a couple of deployments himself. Interesting background. He came over here from Europe to go to school, and then he ended up not having enough money for school, so he joined the Army. And, you know, after a long career, he's at where he's at now, and he is a... Uh, Big on combatives. He does a lot of mixed martial arts and that sort of thing. And he is now a part of a school in Montana. We dropped all the information for that during the interview as well. And uh, Mark had some very interesting experiences. One of the stories that he shared with us was about a time that he engaged uh, an enemy combatant in close quarters. And it turned into a hand-to-hand fight. Uh, so it's very interesting. And he also experienced a lot of uh, multiple TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. And he talks about some of that and some of the transition as well. So I, I think it's really interesting. And uh, I know you guys are going to like it. So before I play that for you, uh, I just want to talk about a gentleman. He is a former, he's a uh, United Kingdom Army combat medic. Uh, his name was Mike Lamb. And the reason I'm talking about Mike is because he is he served with uh Chantel Taylor, good friend of mine and frequent guest and co-host on the podcast. And she, he was a junior medic under her at, when they deployed to Afghanistan. It was a very kinetic deployment. Uh after a period of time, he eventually went on to get attached to the UK special forces and, and serve with the SAS as a medic. And, uh, he recently passed away, uh, from cancer. He was only 32 years old. So what I would like the audience to do is I'll drop a link. There's a GoFundMe account that was set up to help out his family, his young family. And I will place a link for that in the podcast notes on the website. Check it out. Um, and if, if you can help out, it would be appreciated if you can't, it's all good. Um, so yeah, be sure to check that out in the, the link at the podcast notes. It'll be on globalrecon.net slash podcast, uh, episode 67. It'll be the, f- the first episode when you go to the page. So with that being said, now I'll play the conversation that I had with Michael Rodriguez and Mark Belden. Hey, what's going on guys? Uh, we have a special episode for you guys with two special guests. A uh, good friend of mine, Michael Rodriguez, back on the podcast, uh, along with Mark Belden. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, brother? Not much, man. Just working, staying busy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you, you, both of you guys are, are former uh, Green Berets. Yep, Correct. that's right. Uh, Mike was an 18 Delta, 
And Mark, what was your uh, specialty in the Green Berets? I was 18 Delta as well. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, you, got, you got a couple smart Green Berets on okay, here now. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. So, uh, Mike, we had we had you on the podcast before, and you know we spoke about some of your story, and then we focus a lot on the the TBI PTSD piece, and you know. I can't tell you the amount of feedback that I got that was positive from combat veterans was amazing. And, um, you know, I think that for, for guys to be able to hear from a guy like yourself with your experience and how open you are with it, I think it helps overall because then guys can say, okay, you know, it's fine to talk about it and, and that kind of thing. And I just think it's, uh, it's great stuff that you're doing, man. No, I, I appreciate it, bro. I mean, hearing you say that, bro, uh, man, I get like goosebumps, man. I mean, really, uh, uh, it means a lot to me to hear you say that, brother. Really, it does. Especially, you know, you got a loyal following. You got a fantastic following, brother. And I'm really proud of what you've been doing and, you know, all the listeners, man. So, uh, you know, uh, the fact that you got positive feedback if I, when, I, when I'm talking, uh, it really means a lot, man. Trust me. That's a first. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm about to destroy that right now, so don't worry. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right, so we'll we'll get into it. We're we're gonna get into a bit of Mark's background, uh, but before we get into that, that uh, Mike, can we can you give us some updates on what you've been up to lately? Yeah, sure, man. So uh, you know, since we talked last, uh, I think that we covered in there. You know, the the stuff that I've been involved with. You know, I'm the chief ambassador for the Greenbury Foundation. So you know, we're trucking ahead. Um, still doing a lot of good stuff for the for the for the Special Forces Regiment. You know, supporting everyone. As a matter of fact, today. Uh, I delivered about twenty thousand K cups from uh, that were donated from Starbucks to one of the one of the battalions here in Third Group uh, for them to you know caffeinate before they head out the wire. So we got a lot of stuff going on with that. Um, you know, we still have uh, as far as my uh, my role uh, on the board for the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation. And, you know, our bill is still we we got it before Congress. We're trying to push it through um, so we can uh, <clears throat> you know see about uh, getting that. We got to get it through Congress. Uh, to change the legislation that says that a, uh, um, <clears throat> and I might have covered this before if I did, you know, just for guys that hadn't heard about it before. Uh, so what we're trying to do is build a global war on terror memorial in Washington, D.C. The very first uh, war memorial that was ever built was the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. So following its, it, you know, after it was, uh, you know, after it was built, Congress got together and they're like, hey, look, we need to enact some laws and rules and regulations, uh, you know, on on that for future uh, future memorials. So they enacted a law saying a conflict has to be over for 10 years in order for, uh, it has to be, you know, cessation of, of, of acts has, uh, um, has to be over for 10 years in order for a memorial to even begin the process. Well, you know, that's a good idea in the mid eighties, but you know, as we know now, uh, we're in a multi-generational conflict and uh it's just not gonna work you know hell my son's in 82nd and he's getting ready to push out the door here soon you know so that that's not good so we have a bill before congress to allow us to be the uh you know take lead on this memorial uh the global war on terror memorial foundation that's that's what it's called and uh change the law and we got a lot of support um and uh so we're just kind of trucking along and you know if anybody's ever worked uh with bills and laws and stuff you know things you know the the, the machine that is Washington, D.C. doesn't move as fast as <laughs> as we'd like it to. So, uh, you know, we got that going. And then also 
Uh, probably the lion's share of my volunteer work and spare time, if if, if you could call anything I have spare time, uh, is is as uh, you know still I sit on uh, President Bush's advisory council for military service initiative, and uh, you know um, you know that really uh, uh, you know it's it's uh, you know ensure that post 9/11 veterans and their families you know have successful transitions to civilian life. You know we're focusing on meaningful employment, overcoming invisible wounds of war. You know, and we, we're trying to foster a successful transition. Uh, and we also enable, uh, uh, you know, resources uh, determined. Uh, you know, uh, we, we understand that the uh, there's experienced leaders to serve and lead the nation for decades to come is really going to it's going to come from the three million uh, veterans that served since 9-11. You know, and here in the next five years, we'll look at it another million to uh, join the civilian workforce. So we. That's that's a lot. What's going on? The the big thing on the plate, right? Uh, big thing coming up soon. So I'm gonna go ahead and let some of the I might get in trouble for saying some of this stuff, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. But I'm not sure if people know uh, President Bush. Uh, since he left office, he got into painting. You know, he got into art. Um, he's painted every world leader he's ever met. And what he started doing a little over a year ago, he selected certain veterans to paint, uh, like a portrait, like like he painted them. And then he writes it. He wrote an essay about them and he put it in a book. And it's a, it's a fundraiser. There's no profit to be made off of it. And uh, the book is called Portraits of Courage. It comes out uh, the end of this month. You can go on bushcenter.org, uh, you know, and, and look at it and buy it. You know, I think it's like 35 bucks. You can get a copy. And then for, I believe it's 250, 235 bucks, uh, you can get a copy that's actually signed by the boss. I mean, he, he's, I, I can vouch for the fact that he is signing these things. Nice. He's not happy about it, but he is signing them. Um, uh, you can buy them. Uh, you, you can go on the website, check it out. But uh, the book tour starts the end of this month, uh, the 27th. Uh, if, you, if you watch the Today Show, you might see someone you recognize. And if you go, if you go on the if you go on the, if you go look at the uh, the book, you find it on there. Uh, you might you might see someone on the cover you recognize as well. So you actually uh, look better as a painting than you do in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. In fact, they put me on the poster. I felt like, man, I guess they got to throw an ugly guy on there. <laughs> um, so really, you know, that's it's going to give a opportunity. Not it's yeah. It talk about the paintings, you know, and there's uh, I believe 66 of us he selected, and he writes an essay about the relationship we have, and it's very odd for me to say, you know, I actually. Not only did he work for me, but I say I'm, I'm one of his policy advisors, as crazy as that sounds. But, you know, I've actually been able to develop a friendship with a man. Um, but I, I really see the book as an opportunity to not highlight this, us in the book. I mean, we're I don't think we're special. I don't think we're any different than any other veteran that served. We were just blessed with opportunity to get to know the boss. And he selected us to paint. That's uh, that's pretty much, I think, where it ends. But I, I really see this book that's coming out as an opportunity to bridge the civilian military divide by educating the civilian populace, you know, on, on veterans, you know, we're, we, we're not special. We're, we're different. We have unique uh, obstacles, but you know what? Every American uh, has these obstacles. And, and uh, one of the things that, you know, if uh, we did a survey, uh, the Bush Institute last year, and we found that over 70%, you know, seven out of 10 civilians today say that, you know, they, they don't feel like they, can relate to the military. Seven out of ten, like seven over seventy percent. But probably an even more striking number, a more, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, to me, it was shocking for me, was that eight over eighty percent, eight out of ten veterans feel they have they they can identify with the civilian community, you know, which is which is kind of hard, um, you know, and and that that lends to, you know, a lot of the that divide. So I'm hoping that this book. 
provides the opportunity to educate the civilian populace on, you know, hey, we're just, we just have unique obstacles, you know, things in our way, but, you know, I don't use the word disabilities, obstacles are meant to overcome. Um, so I'm really hoping that this, this book, uh, raising awareness uh, on some of the issues we face, so kind of bring the American uh, population back together. I mean, we're so divisive right now. Everybody wants to be part of some set subset group, you know, and yeah. even the veterans in it's, 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 I, it really bothers me to see veterans starting to do that. They feel like oh, I can only hang around veterans. I'm only going to be around veterans. You know what? That's really not going to help you. Uh, I'm not saying don't do that. I hope no one misunderstands, you know, what I'm trying to get across. Um, yeah, veterans. I mean, hell man. I mean, we're, we're, we will heal ourselves. We are our own best resource, but we can also be our own worst enemy. You have to broaden your horizons and you have to get out there, man. And uh, I, I really hope that this book that comes out, uh, you know, kind of sheds the light on some of those things. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you know, it. At a, we're at a time in our, our country where we are extremely divided, whether it be, you know, through politics, through, you know, whatever. And it, it's really at an all-time high, I think, or at least in, in more recent history. And um, I think it's important that we take steps to try and, you know, cut the bullshit and... and uh, yeah. oh, you're it's right. definitely time. It's yeah, definitely- yeah, and just get back to it, you know. Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's it's almost it's 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 almost scary, you know. It's it's crazy. It's like scary how how divided we are, you know. And, and we don't have to be, you know. We don't we don't have to be like that. But it's just the way things are. And uh, I don't know. I think I I still believe in us. I still believe in America, you know. And I I, I really believe together we'll get past it. For sure, for sure. All right, cool, man. Yeah. So, you know, and and you and me, we we text here and there, and I know you always like doing something so that's always good man um yeah so so we'll go over a medical scenario um but first let's get to uh mark and kind of get his story and background before we get into his uh his actual story of uh a time on the ground okay well um uh, i'm born and raised in denmark uh copenhagen denmark um long story short um I went to uh, the Far East. I fought Thai boxing out there for three years. Uh, came to the States to go to school, even though I wasn't a U.S. citizen. Uh, I was on a student visa. And long story short, ran out of money for college. I didn't realize how expensive that was. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I started working with this guy, and he was a former Army Ranger. And he was like, listen, why don't you go on the service? And I was like, uh, well, I guess. Uh, so I went to you know, the recruiting station, you know, at the mall and stuff. And I think the Marines were out to lunch. Um, <laughs> the Navy was like, yeah, I'll come back another day. I just had a fight. So I had a busted nose and two black eyes. <laughs> and uh, so I went to the Air Force and they just looked at me like, not at all, dude. Get out of here. I was like, well, okay. Went to the Army recruiting. He's like, hell yeah, bro. We take everybody. So I was like, cool. So he showed me like a video of the Rangers and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, man, that's pretty cool. Whatever. And then, uh, yeah, that was it. And then I ended up uh, going to selection and yeah, been there ever since. Okay. So you, you went, you went into the Ranger Battalion? No, I went to uh, Lurse at uh, Fort Hood. It was part of the 82nd Lurse. They had their Fort Hood back in the <laughs> early years, <laughs> but uh, you know, they stood that, them down after a while. I went to selection. Right. I, I think um, that, that tends to happen. I, I think they, they did something like that recently also where they, uh, 
they disbanded like a long range reconnaissance. Uh, yeah, they actually. Yeah, no, you're right, Johnny. I saw a big article about that. Man, they disbanded like all the lures. They're like that's almost cr- that's crazy. They just that's just crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was it. Pretty much it. Um, I got wounded again in uh, 2013, um, and had um, about a bad TBI and a bunch of holes in my body and stuff. And then. Um, since I was so close to 21 years, they were just like, look, we're going to go ahead and med board you out uh, because I said I'd never be able to jump again. And so that was kind of rough, uh, not exactly the way I expected to get out, uh, you know, uh, but it is what it is, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, then I moved to Montana for a woman, didn't work out. So now I already bought a big house and stuff. And but then I got into uh, coaching MMA um, and I've been here doing this since. Nice. So you, you eventually went on to become an 18 Delta. Oh, you mean the army? Yeah, yeah, sure did, sure did. Awesome. Okay. So both of you guys are a lot smarter than me, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I don't know if I'm oh, smarter no, no. than you. <laughs> I cheated my whole way through. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right. You can go ahead and cut that out, by the way. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> All right. Um. So, Mike, uh, can we get? Can you get into a? Uh, Tell a story with uh, for the audience where you were in a situation where you had to cover somebody medically. Yeah, sure. So you know, I mean, as eighteen deltas, you know, we run the gambit, you know, of of stuff stuff to do. You know, what I mean, and I, I've, I mean, as an eighteen delta, I, I felt uh, when I went to section, I didn't want to be an eighteen delta. I was like, hey, I want to be Bravo Guns. Or like, you're gonna be an eighteen delta. I'm like, all right, but you know, I, I'm glad I was um, because it it provided an opportunity as an 18 Delta, as a medic, and, you know, whether you're an 18 Delta or not, medics have a unique opportunity uh, and unique responsibility on the battlefield to to help more, you know, to, to provide more, uh, to be, you know, to, to give back. And even though, you know, I was a sniper, uh, you know, I was an 18 Delta. It's like Mark. Mark was an 18 Delta, but he was a, he was an assaulter in the 10th Group SIF, you know, or Cree or whatever they call him now, you know. Yeah, I can't um, remember what they're calling now. Yeah, so... Uh, Anyway, so one story, and I got stories like any other medic, you know, hell, my, my wife's a, a 68 whiskey. She's a combat medic. She's nice. got 21 years of service. She's retiring this summer. So she, we, you know, we got 10,000 stories, but there's one particular story that, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say it haunts me. It's just, it's always there, you know, and, uh, it was a scenario. It was in, it was in Afghanistan and, uh, we were. We we're doing a like a, a med cap, you know. A lot of times we would set up a, hey, we're coming in with you know band aids and diapers and stuff, and but it would just kind of give us a reason to be in the area, and then we would do other stuff later on at night, you know, actually, you know, more, uh, you know, direct action type mission stuff. So, um, you know, we were there, and uh, I was uh, I was kind of a dick senior. I probably, you know, I was I wasn't the best senior, and the, and and the reason I say that is because my junior. Uh, over, over there overseas, you know, I was like, look, I'm not going to treat any of the men. You treat the dudes. I do women and children. I'm not touching those fools. You know, I just, I had a bad taste in my mouth for them, you know? So I wasn't, you know, uh, you know, I, like I said, I was kind of a, a hole in that aspect. So I always had the women and children cause I, I felt like I could, you know, I, I, you know, it just, it just meant more to me to, to treat the women and children. So, uh, uh with that came, uh, one scenario where, uh, the warrant, our warrant team warrant was monitoring the uh, entrance. You know, he was up there, hey, you know, getting people through, triaging, you know, and then 
they he brought some he brought uh this lady in this older lady in and she had something wrapped up in her arms they like rushed in i'm like oh my gosh what happened you know and they brought me it was a it was a baby they're like oh they have a baby and I had my turf there with me and i'm like oh crap you know i'm like okay how old is the baby and then they unwrapped it still had an afterbirth on it you know uh the umbilical cord was still slightly bleeding bleeding and i'm like oh my goodness so i said how long is it and they're like they, they just had it and i'm like and the baby was very uh uh, it was kind of blue, you know, so, so they had, so I'm just like, you know, you know uh, I don't know how many, they I said, how long ago? And then they said, just a while, I was just a while for them. It could have been hours. It could have been minutes. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. So I'm like, all right. So, you know, baby was kind of blue, short respiration. So, you know, I did, I sweeped it. I cleaned it out and did suction. And then I got the Brady breathing better. Um, and, and I remember I'm just like, it was almost like when I was, treating this child it was uh, it was almost like i was you know like i saw my son you know i remember, I, I flashed back right to seeing my my oldest you know when he was a baby i just remembered everything um so i'm like you know automatically i'm attached to it uh to this baby this little boy so i'm like oh my gosh so i put everything into it you know uh cleaned him up uh, you know got the baby breathing better got him warmed up um it was kind of it was cooler you know i mean i did I spent a good 45 minutes, you know, upon, yeah, at least 45 minutes, if not longer, with this baby holding it. You know, I, I mean, to warm it up, how I warmed it, I like, I, I opened my, uh, uh, my, my top, you know, and I put it against me, you know, use my body warmth. And I mean, I was just, it was very emotional for me, you know. Um, so then I, you know, we had baby blankets all the time and formula so then i brought him and i get, i fed the baby so i was the very first one to feed this child you know i can say hey this is how you do it because the mother was very malnourished she, she i could tell she i mean she didn't have any milk man she she just didn't so i'm like all right i gotta educate him on how to do this so i got a baby bottle a real small one a small you know i, I went through the whole everything you're supposed to do you know and uh you know i fed the child and you know i was just like man this is like my baby you know so then there was a blanket uh, I remembered that I thought it was cool. I was I'd actually planned to bring this blanket home, you know, because I, <laughs> you know, to give it to my kids because I thought it was a cool blanket, you know, it was a blue and there was only one like it of all the baby blankets. It was like a little blue blanket, and it had like uh, it had clouds in it, and it was just and I'm like, hey, go give me that. And my turp knew the blanket, you know, because they're always giving me crap, you know, because they're like, oh, are you gonna steal this for your son? I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna steal it, you know. Uh, I said, go get the blue blanket, and and my turp knew right away. So boom, he went, got it. I wrapped the baby up in the blanket. Uh, we had like little little diapers, and and we had everything, you know, a little little clothing, like a little just a little like onesie, and you know, on the onesie, I I, I had put uh, I put up my ODA number on it, you know, seven seven two, and I, I mean just it was like my baby, you know, I was just like a proud dad at that moment, and I'm educating the parents, I'm talking to them, and I'm saying, hey, look, we're leaving tomorrow. Uh, no, we were leaving the, yeah, we were leaving the following day. I said, look, next time we're in this area, I'm going to try and come, I'm going to see you guys. Uh, you know, and I did all I could. So, you know, like I said, you know, probably several times I was like attached to this child. So when I gave it back to him, I walked him out, you know, my, 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 my pediatric line at this point was like, man, there was like 80 kids just waiting to see me, you know, and uh, at least 80, if not more, you know, cause I spent so much time with this child. You, you got to, you got to budget your time. But I was just like, nah, this baby's, you know, he's mine. Cleaned him up, man. I did all I could. He was breathing. He was breathing well, good, strong pulse. Wrapped him up in the blanket and his little ODA 772 uh, onesie, man. It was awesome. 
uh, sent them on the way. So then continue through the day, right? Treating kids and women and going on. And I was just so, I felt so, uh, you know, fulfilled, like you accomplished something like you, you know, just those few moments that child was safe. It was secure. It's happy. And that's, that's what I loved about part of my job. I was able to give those children just those few moments of happiness, make, make them smile, make them laugh. Um, you know, even though just those moments, they were safe in my care. And then once we let them go, man, you know, it's back to, back to, back to their reality. So we get through the day, uh, and then, uh, we're getting ready to leave the next day. We didn't really have any, nothing really panned out that night. So we didn't really go on, you know, track anybody down. So we just kind of bedded down. We, we rond in the, in the village and, you know, we're getting ready to leave, driving by the same area and driving down the little road. And I always rode, uh, you know, an ATV, you know, I was always one of the guys, we was like one of the senior guys on the team. So we, we had ATVs, you know, um, and I drove by and, uh, one of the little, little huts, you know, I, I saw the blanket and it was just hanging there. And I was like, what? what? I, I mean, I, I knew that blanket, man, there's only blanket like that, you know, that we had. And I know no one else had <laughs> it just come there and give them this brand new blanket. So, uh, I was like, it was just, I was like, well, what the hell? So then I got pissed, you know, I got, I got, I was like, wait a minute, what the hell it was just hanging like on a like, kind of like on a windowsill. So I like, you know, the cowboy's going, I just, boom, I just fucking go right over to it. I get out and I freaking walk in and, and, uh, you know, there was there, like the blanket was like on a window, right? So I went in and right under the window on the inside was the diapers, the formula, and the little pile of clothes. And then, then I looked at the parents and they just looked at me and then they just shook their head, you know, and it just, uh, you know, it was just, it was just hard, man. <clears throat> you know, I was just like, holy shit, you know, and I felt like, you know, I lost, I felt like I lost my son, you know, cause, uh, at that time, my, my sons were staying with my father because a lot of people don't know this uh, and I share it. It's not like, but I was a single dad for a while. Uh, my first wife uh, was in prison, <laughs> so uh, my two boys went in care of my father, and I saw my son there. You know, I mean, the the, the, the baby wasn't there, but I just, you know, I did like I said earlier, I identified him as my son. So it just it just caught me, and there was there was nothing I could do, and I I had never felt uh, so helpless, you know, at that moment, uh, you know, and that's 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 an experience, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's there every night, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I laugh about it. It's my experience. Um, you know, I own it. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, it's there every night. I close my eyes, man. Wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I know. I know that must be difficult to deal with. Some, uh, you know, like I know you guys are both medics, so I'm sure throughout your time you've dealt with a lot of injuries and that kind of thing. But I don't know, dealing with an infant, I guess, is like its own kind of thing, you know. No, it is, man. I mean, that's the, I mean, I, I, they're like angels, man. There's no, I mean, they're innocent. I mean, that's pure innocence right there. And I did all I could, man, but it's, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I understand you can't save everybody, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm realistic about it, but, um, you know, and I've had, I've had babies die in my arms before, but, uh, that one for some reason, um, I think it's cause maybe cause I was missing my sons and I, I identified it as my son, as my oldest, you know, Antonio. It's just, uh, I just, it's just, uh, you know, it's been with me since, 
you know, it, it really is to the point where, uh, um, you know, you won't find uh you won't find a blue blanket in my house, man. Yeah. 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 That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so Mark, um, yeah. you had some interesting experiences in your career. Uh, and then we had a specific story that, uh, you, you were going to share. Can you share that with the audience? Um, yeah. Is that one we talked about, Mike? Yeah. So, right. Hey, can let me talk real quick before yeah, you do. Yeah, so, so, uh, the story Mark's going to tell, man, when he was a Sephardic instructor, uh, you know, I went, actually, I went to Sephardic when Mark was a Sephardic instructor. So, uh, uh, you know, you do combatives every morning, and, you know, Mark, Mark's very modest in, in on, on his background, particularly his, his skills, uh, you know, uh, in, in a ring or in a cage or on the street or whatever, man, you just don't want to fight this cat, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, during, I remember during the train ups, you know, every morning in Sephardic, you do combatives. And I remember one of the train ups, he'd come down and he would, you know, he was one of the instructors and, and he was like pretending to kick me, like not even hard, dude. And I, I I've never been kicked that hard in my life, you know, it's, and he was not even going full, you know? So I don't remember that by the way. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to keep reminding you about it too, you know, okay. but uh, Fair enough. yeah. But uh, during during Sephardic, uh, you know, the, uh, this this the story Mark's gonna tell you is not a lot of people know about it. You know, like me and you, John. You know, I I talked to you about it. I'm like, hey man, I think this might be something interesting. Uh, you know, your audience probably uh, would like to hear about. It's not a very well known story. Um, so they Mark would tell the story. That's how I found out about the story. You know, and I knew Mark. I was working with him. I, I but he's not like something he would talk about. You know, uh, in in it's, it's real powerful. Uh, and it, it, uh, it, um, you know, it's, uh, it's no bullshit story, man. It just shows, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, really how fortunate all of us that serve, uh, how fortunate we are to stand beside, you know, uh, guys that can handle situations like this, you know? So go ahead, Mark, man. I'll, I'll, I'll keep talking, man. I've got a bad habit. Right, um, <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, that's a hell of an intro, I guess. But, um, yeah, you know, I've been I'm fighting my whole life, and like you know, like Mike said, you know, uh, one of the reasons the story came up at Sephardic was because a lot of the guys that went through Sephardic was like, you know, well, why the fuck do I need to learn hand to hand? You know, why do I need oh, to learn how to fight? Just quickly, for the audience who won't know, what is Sephardic? Okay. Oh, <laughs> hey, Mike, go ahead and spell it, man. I can't even spell it. So <laughs> All right, Sephardic. <laughs> All right, Sephardic is a. Of course, the special forces guys got to go through in order to be uh, in in the the SIF uh, commanders extremists. For anyway, I think they've renamed them. Anyway, it's a it's a, an assaulter based course for certain missions in support of certain guys, you know. And it's uh it's a CQB course. It's like is it's it's the greatest CQB course there is out there. And it stands. The letters are S F A R T A E T C. So I'll tell you what that stands for. That's Special Forces Advanced Reconnaissance Target Acquisition and Exploitation Techniques Course. So that's, that's too long to say. So we just shorten it. It's called Sephardic. Uh, and all the guys, whether it's C-110, C-37, A-15, B-23, and C-11, uh, those are the the five uh, companies within SF um, that in order to be in that company – uh, you have to go to this course, and it's a it's it's a, it's a JSOC course. So that's 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 Sephardic, and and the only guys that teach that course, you have to have experience in one of those units to to come back and teach it. 
Right. Um, well, goddamn. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Mike said. <laughs> um, no, but you know, it was it was a uh, very interesting, you know, because I heard it a lot of times. You know, guys were like, you know, why do I need to learn how to fight? You know, I got guns and shit. And I was like, listen, first of all, mission wise, you're not always going to be able to go down and take a guy down. You may have to put hands on him at some point. Um, and I said, worst case scenario, I mean, what if you do go hand to hand for whatever reason, right? And the first time you get punched in the face is in a life and death situation. Um, I said, that's going to end up very bad for you. I promise. You know, and so, and like, you know, Mike can attest to, I mean, some of the guys found out, holy crap, dude, it's a little different when somebody's just wailing on you. Right. Uh, because I wasn't trying to go, you know, um, use a lot of tie boxing, you know, like grappling and stuff like that. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, say, I'll just go fish on you. And then I just went ballistic, man, wailed on him like a wild man. And some of them were like completely like, oh, my God. I mean, we had one guy, I remember him, went straight to the fetal position and did not fight back. Yep. And I was like, what the f- Dude, I said, you can't do that, man. I said, the best thing is that out of this whole situation is you die. Worst thing is you get somebody else killed because of that shit. You know, and that's when I realized, all right, guys, maybe you need to hear a story, man. I said, it's not something I'm proud of, but it happened. Uh, we were in a mission in Iraq. Um, we knew this guy was a bad cat, man. He, um, he had killed a lot of people, uh, coalition forces and Americans. So we got the lead on him. Um, we caught him sleeping on the roof. Uh, his bodyguard was asleep, you know, <laughs> it was kind of weird. But um, the thing that we didn't realize was how big this cat was. I mean, he was like 300 plus pounds. Um, and he had definitely been lifting a lot of weights. You know, we're like, wow, man, this is a beast. So anyway, we double cuffed him with uh, FlexiCuff, the industrial strength FlexiCuffs. And uh, we went down and did a TQ, which is tactical questioning. Um, and it was done in a small room um Kind of like the, like maybe an oversized regular closet, you know, um, not very big. So my guy, uh, the interrogator, called me and said, hey, man, can you uh, stay with him for a second? Absolutely, Roger that. So the turb was all the way in the back or in the back of the room, about two feet from me, up against the wall, the back wall. Uh, the guy was standing in front of me. We had about maybe two feet between us. And um, he just had this look in his eyes, you know, I mean, stone cold. And I was like, okay, this cat's pretty big dude, you know, um, easily probably like 320, uh, probably six, six, two, six, three, maybe, you know, and I was like, okay. And he said something to the Turk and the Turk just kind of looked a little confused. Like what? he looks over and I said, what did he say? He goes, uh, you might as well kill me now because I'm not going to talk. And I was like, okay, whatever, man. I'm just here to hang out with you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and um, but you know, uh, as per protocol, you know, my long gun was outside, obviously, because you don't want to bring it into a small enclosure like that. And he stood there and just stared at me with these black eyes, man. He started breathing real heavy, and I was like, huh, okay. So you know, the spider senses started coming up, and anyway, he took a huge breath, man, and uh, snapped both his uh, flex cuffs uh, from behind his back. And just charged at me. Um, uh, from what I remember, I think it was a left hook that immediately caught him, uh, which is always my go-to, just because of the way I train, which kind of stunned him and dropped us to his knee. But, I mean, he just crashed into me, pinned me up against the wall, um, lifted me up. Um, and ensuing was about a 45-second to a minute battle. Um, and now... With that being said, I mean, we were going, we were doing pad work every night. We were lifting weights every night, going for a run, grappling, probably like, you know, five, five-minute rounds a night. 
And after about a minute, when the whole thing was over, um, because I forgot to yell support, I forgot all that shit. I was busy surviving. Um, one of the guys ripped the door open and he pulled him out, man. And the guy was uh, down and out for the count. And I was completely out of breath. Anyway, long story short, that guy ended up dying apparently. Um, and was later, you know, I was later investigated for it, obviously, because, you know, uh, we had already called sick to secure. So people thought, you know, he'd been neutralized during interrogation. Um, but what came out of that was I was probably a top shade of, about my life at that time, you know, and a one minute fight for my life, uh, kind of brought a lot of things into perspective for me, you know? Um, and that is where, um, you know, the, w- the way I drive my training today is you got to know what it's like to be in a horrible situation, man. Um, you know, and it was not one of those, cause a lot of people have asked me like, well, why didn't you pull your, pull your pistol out and shoot him? I said, look, dude, when you're in a enclosure like that, with two feet between you, there's no time. Okay. Right. You're not going to have time to do that. Um, and to illustrate that point, my Turk was trying to pull out his sidearm, but in his panic mode, uh, when he, when he reached for his sidearm, he stuck his finger in his pocket and couldn't get his finger out because he didn't realize it was in the pocket. That's why he couldn't get his pistol out, which is probably pretty good. Cause I'm pretty sure he would have shot me too. <laughs> uh, you know, but so that kind of became, you know, I mean, everybody was like high five and shit. And I was like, wow, what, what a cool story. But when I got back to my hooch that night, you know, shit kind of like, like Mike said, man, shit kind of hit the fan. And I was like, wow, dude, that could have ended up really fucking bad. You know, um, I was like, wow. You know. But anyway, long story short, uh, that's where I kind of like, OK, we need to start taking this seriously. Because uh, when I came, like I said, when we came back to the compound, um, the cat commander was like, hey. Mark, let me talk to you real quick. And I was like, what's up? He goes, hey, I heard about what happened. I was like, right to that, sir. He goes, you good? He's like, yeah, my hand's probably broke, but, you know, I'll have uh, go to the hospital real quick and have him look at it. Um, and he was like, okay. And he was like, I am happy. It was you, bro. I'm not somebody else who's never fought before. You know, because it is an overwhelming feeling to be fighting for your life. And I know that, you know, people talk about, yeah, you know, I go to war in the cage, man, I'm a killer. You know, and it sounds great. I got it, bro. You know, you're a killer. It's all good. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it means something different from people that have been there. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was where it kind of got brought up at Sephardic, you know, because I was like, guys, you guys need to take this seriously. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of guys would surprise me. They didn't. You know, I mean, I don't remember. My, do you remember, Mike, we had a couple of guys that refused to fight? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Was like, I was like, wait a minute, man. You guys are Green Berets. You want to go to the SIF? You know, and you're like, yeah, but look at me, man. I bench 400 pounds. And they're like, how much do you bench? I said, enough to crack your fucking head open. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it was like they had this weird mentality about it. You know, like, well, I'm never going to fight. And I'm like, dude, it's not about whether you want to fight in the cage or not. It's about surviving. Right. You know, um, and that's where the whole, where we kind of like revamped the combatives course a little bit. And, and you said you've been fighting mixed martial arts and, and that kind of thing your entire life? Uh, yeah, Thai boxing uh, was my thing. Obviously, you know, I'm from Denmark, so Kukushin Karate and Thai boxing was the big deal. Then I came to the States, um, did some, uh, you know, dirty fights. Uh, one of my first fights was against a 240-pound guy, and I was right out of Thailand, you know, and uh, I was 155 pounds, maybe 160 on a good day. And um, anyway, he got knocked out in a minute. Uh, and we actually became best friends. And he's actually the head of the dog pound fight team here in Missoula. We met after 24 years. 
yeah. ran into each other here. <laughs> that was kind of crazy. So that's why I ended up staying here. What um? So you know, it, it's interesting because uh, you know, just like talking amongst friends and and you know, seeing things online or whatever, uh, I see a lot of times guys will be like, "Oh well, you know, I'm stronger, I'm bigger, you know, I can easily, <laughs> right. easily take this guy." And I'm like, just from knowing, like I, I've done a little bit of combatives, nothing too crazy, but just knowing some people who really take it seriously, um. I actually know a, a former 10th group Sith guy who's also big on combatives as well. And uh, it's it's like if you know how to fight, you have such a, a large uh, advantage over someone who, who might be a little bigger and stronger, but they don't know how to fight, you know. And it, it's just interesting right. to see how people are so kind of arrogant about it. Like, yeah, well, you know, I got 50 pounds in this dude and I, I could lift more than him, so I'm easily going to knock him out. And it's just like right. the, the reality is not that, you know. See, I mean, I, I kind of like it. I mean, I'm 200 pounds, you know, and um, when people are like, yeah, man, I'm like 280. I'm like, good. That means you're going to gas pretty quick. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's how I look at it, you know. Uh, but I like I told guys that's Sephardic, you know, I'm pretty sure I told Mike's group that too. Like, look, fighting is a mental thing. Yeah, you got to have physical technique, you know, physical attributes. But fighting, I mean, you could be the most in-shape guy, right? I mean, and you see it. Guys that spar amazingly in the gym, right? I mean, they can outspar anybody. The minute they get in the ring or in the cage, man, they just freeze. Right. Because mentally they're not there. You know, um, and, and and that's what you got to have. I mean, it, that's why I say, you know, fighting keeps you honest, man. You know, right. uh, and, and, and you find out what you're all about when somebody, you know, who's, uh, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm sure a lot of the guys there will disagree, but, you know, um, <laughs> You know, and it was funny to me because, you know, I mean, Mike, I think Mike was in that the one guy that challenged me was in your class, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, why do you want to challenge me, man? Uh, I've heard about you, man. I think I could take you. And I was like, all right, bro. I mean, if you want, got to go there. But, you know, uh, just realize, you know, that you may not finish the course if we do this. You know, <laughs> uh, And I told him, I said, why don't we just wait until you graduate? You know, that way, if you get hurt, man, it doesn't, you know, you, can, you still have your certificate or whatnot. You know, uh, but he didn't wait. So. <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, by any chance, do you know uh, Two Lamb? <clears throat> okay, maybe you guys were there at different times. Okay. Yeah, but you know what's funny is like when I went through, you know, I grew up boxing. Uh, I grew up street fighting. Uh, you know, I boxed for the, the the army actually for a little bit too, and I I love combatives. I've always, you know, I. Um, <clears throat> You know, I always got into it, you know, but, you know, when, when I heard Mark's story, I never, I never, it, it kind of put things in perspective for me. I, I never been in a fight for my life. I never, you know, thank God, you know, I was, you know, I was never in a situation like that. But, you know, when Mark, you know, I, I don't consider myself a fire. I, I got experience, you know, uh, but, you know, hearing Mark's story, I was like, damn, maybe I need to need to work a little bit more. And even, even to this day, you know, I'm an old broken toy. I've, <laughs> I got, I've, been out of the, I've been out of the army three and a half years after 21 years of service, you know, but even to this day, you know, uh, I will never, I don't ever work out without including some striking or, or some type of combatives because you just never know, man, you know, you and it was a good, it was a fantastic, uh, you know, for me anyway, it was, a, it, it provided like a moment of clarity and in, in putting, uh, the arts, the fighting arts, you know, in, in, into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, you do, and, and you're, you're running a gym now these days. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. Um, 
Professor Peter Alakazi, he's uh, the uh, Pan Am World Champion uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He just opened a school here, and one of his professors that teaches there is Anderson Silva's Jits coach. Oh, nice. Um, anyway, he uh, he looked me up one day, and he's like, hey, are you mad, dog? And I was like, yeah, what's up? He goes, hey, I've heard a lot about you, man. You know, I really want you to join our team. Um and yeah, it's been an absolute blessing so far, man. You know, and it's uh, Mission Radio Academy here in Montana, um, and it's just it's a bunch of pipe hitters, man. You know, uh, and I love it. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, traditional uh, martial arts, uh, like you know, bowing and respecting, but when it's time to bang, it's time to bang. You know, uh, and he was like, "Hey, I want you to do all the stand up." You know, um, and of course, there's nothing like you know rolling with like you know um a world champion you know what i mean uh, and then uh professor um Mora, who's uh anderson silva's coach you know um just unbelievable jets man i mean you know he's just uh he's a freak of nature you know uh shaka ray right he just fought uh last weekend in the ufc yeah 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 he's uh professor Mora is the only one that's ever submitted him Oh, wow. You know, uh, yeah, he's he's a freaking nature man. So shockery for that matter. Right. So you know, it, 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 the MMA coaching here, man. Uh, to be honest with you, saved my life um, because I was on. I was like, you know what, dude, uh, and it was kind of funny because I was getting money out of an ATM one night, I and mean, this was before I started coaching here. Uh, I just broken up with my ex for whatever reasons. I just bought a big house, uh, nothing in the house, um, and. I remember going to the ATM and a couple of dudes rolled up behind me and, you know, and I was like, thank God, man, because I'm going to put you fuckers down. You know what I mean? And I got ready to draw my pistol, man. And they just kind of stood there and stared at me like, uh, hey, sir, are you done? And I was like, you want to you want to take a shot at the title, bro? And they're like, what the fuck? Man? I was like, what's up? You know, and they're like, no, man. So they left and I got back in my car. And I drove home and I was like, what the fuck is going on, man? You know what I mean? Because I wanted them. I wanted both of those guys. They were big dudes, man. And I was just like, dude, you're going down that fucking road again, you know? Uh, because I don't drink. Um, so my advice has always been out, going out to bars and just smashing people, you know? And, um, oh, yeah, and Betty, by the way, last night, Mike, Betty texted me, you still carry your mouthpiece. Um, <laughs> and yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's but it, that's when I realized, man. You know, I need I need to do something with my life here, man. Um, and then, yeah, God bless. You know, Matt Powers and those guys got me into coaching here. Um, so it's uh, you know, that's definitely a blessing. You know, that I met you know a great woman and and came back in my life, man. It's just been amazing ever since. And then, of course, you know, Mike. Um, I don't even remember how you reached out to me. I think you found me on Facebook, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, holy shit, man. I mean, cause I've always liked Mike, man. I mean, you know, we just always had a connection, man. And I was like, fuck man. Thank God, dude. Cause I'm hurting. And then I uh, came out to uh, Fayetteville uh, about a week and a half ago, man. It was just awesome to see him, nice. you know? Uh, yeah. And, and how long have you been out of the army? Um, last December was one year. Okay, so you just recently separated. Yeah, I'm brand new. <laughs> okay. Okay, and um, and and you also, you said you also had some issues with with TBI and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had um, 
when it came to Lonstool, eventually uh, they found five bleeds and a uh, skull fracture. They didn't really know when the skull fracture was from, but they said, hey, you got some bleeds and stuff. And I had tremors. I had a hard time walking. I kept walking to the right, walking into walls and shit. Uh, so that was hard. I mean, that was really hard for me to kind of, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but like to rely on other people all of a sudden, you know, um, because I would talk to somebody and forget them in five minutes. I had no, I had no idea who they were. Uh, the SOCOM liaison, uh, I think it was after six months, he asked me straight up, can I ask you a question? I'm like, absolutely. She goes, you have no idea who I am, do you? And I was like, no, I don't. I said, but you're pretty hot, you know? <laughs> uh, and she was like, okay. And that's, and you know, and then I saw I like, you know, paperwork that I signed with her and all this stuff. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Uh, and that's when it became real to me that uh, well, my career might be coming to an end, you know, so. And and dealing with that, um, you know, did, is the combatives part or, or was it difficult to, like, did, did it affect that part of your life as well? Dealing Absolutely. With Absolutely. Yeah, because I was, uh, uh, like, my bicep was ripped off. Um, uh, my clavicle was... Uh, had a fracture and I mean there's just a lot of things that all of a sudden had to get fixed and you know and I hate to say it but you know I'm 45 now so even though my brain tells me I'm fucking 18 uh, my body kind of slows me down and says hey you're not trust me you know uh, I mean I mean it's crazy man you punch somebody in the face and you break your hand you're like what the hell right. I've never broken my hand like that before you know um, and it's just you know but that was hard for me um, to kind of realize hey you're not this pipe hitter you, you used to be. But like I said, you know, like Mike said as well, you know, you find something that, that makes you get out of bed every morning. Right. You know, um, and because there's definitely times, especially in the hospital, where, you know, going into surgery, you know, oh, it's just like, hey, you know, because I'd ask them if something goes wrong during my surgery, can I sign some paperwork saying that you're not going to, you know, and they're like, well, DNR orders are not going to cover that during your surgery. And I'm like, well, I mean, can you just not try to bring me back? Just let me go, man. And that's when the hospital's like, okay, this guy's fucking spiraling downhill, you know. Um, and then, you know, of course, my, my brother Jordan, good draw, man. He was, uh, I mean, he would drive up from Stuttgart, you know, two and a half hour, three hour drive to have dinner with me and drive back, you know. Um, and he just kept telling me, man, there's another day tomorrow, man. Just hang in there, you know. Uh, and of course, now I'm, I'm glad that, you know, uh, because there's difference, even here in Montana, there's some dark moments, man, where I was like, you know what, fuck it. I don't care, man. You know, um, and I think that's a, uh, of course, I think like, uh, I think we've talked about before, Mike, a lot of us tend to isolate, you know, um, and that's definitely what I did. You know, uh, I just sit in my house and there'd be days where I wouldn't see anybody, you know, and then I get paranoid and I get crazy. And then, of course, my reaction is, be a fucking great time to go out to a bar tonight. You know, um, so I pack up my money, my mouthpiece, and roll out and find the biggest dude I could find, cave his head in. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I had a great, I have a great uh, uh, counselor here, American man, and she's she gives it to me straight. I mean, there's no bullshit with her. You know, she calls me on my shit, uh, and that's what I need. You know, uh, that's how I function best. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been difficult, man, but it's. Uh, you know, and, and, and aside from, from, you know, a lot of people say it was transition, but I had to tell the guys at the vet center, I was like, listen, man, there is no fucking transition for me. I am what I am. Right. I said, no, nah, 
I can adapt to being around. I mean, like, you know, you know, you're in an operational environment. And that was where, because they kept saying, how's your transition going? It ain't fucking going. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm still angry. I'm still an asshole. You know, and I still want to hit people. You know? uh, but then, you know, like I said, uh, we kind of came to an agreement. and said, look, don't, you know, uh, don't put me in group therapy because I don't do that shit. I don't do very well with that. Um, and then for me, it was more, let's just say there's a transition, you know, but it's not the transition that, you know, this is part of your, this was a life back then. Now you're going to be a happy civilian, you know, because uh, that shit just doesn't work for me. Right. So, but that's just my story. <laughs> so like when you, with your TBI, did you have to go undergo like medical procedures to begin the process of, of helping or, or was it just like therapy kind of thing? Uh, it was a lot of therapy. Um, uh, Dr. Lee, who was the SOCOM neurosurgeon they brought in from, he's the head of all the Mayo clinics for neurosurgery. And um, because, you know, I did the whole great, great thing, you know, I went to Bogram for 10 days um, and they're like, well, you know, there's definitely some issues. I'm like, ah, fuck that. I'm just going back to the team. So I came back to, uh, to the team, you know, but I mean, I couldn't serve my weapon. I was stumbling. My speech was getting worse. I was shaking like there's no tomorrow, you know, and, and, the guys in charge, like, oh, send him up to Kunar. He just needs to get back in the fight, you know. And I was still vomiting, you know. Um, and my ex was like, listen, he needs to go back to Lonstool. There's something wrong with him. Um, and then when I got back to Lonstool, a lot of shit happened. But anyway, um, I jumped on the train, went down to Stuttgart, because uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to fucking party, man. You know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, being a retard. I just wanted to sleep in my own bed is what it was. And I had just had my MRI lawn stool and they were like, they called me like, where are you right now? I'm like, well, I'm a Stuttgart. What's up? They're like, you left the hospital. And I was like, yeah, man, what's up? They're like, dude, you have five active bleeds in your head. You need to get up here right now. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. You know, blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, Sunday, uh, my speech was pretty much, it sounded like I was drunk constantly. Uh, my tremors had gotten real bad. I had a hard time walking. And that's when I was like, I need to get back up there. And uh, they kept me ever since. Okay. So the the thing, and and I, we kind of touched on this, Mike, when you were on the first uh, first time, uh-huh. is that the the brain injuries are kind of unique to each individual, right? No, yeah, there are, man. They're highly individualistic, you know. Just like just like PTS, you know, uh, it's it's all individualistic. You know, all three of us could experience the same event and then process it differently and they affect us or not affect us, you know, and, and brain injuries is especially like Mark, you know, I mean, uh, a bleed by itself is, is, will kill you. You know, the, the cat had five, you know, and he left out the fact how he got the bleed, the building fell on him, you know? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And, and it's just a lot of guys, you know, particularly for them, the community, we just like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We just keep going, you know? And like, we right. like, you know, like even uh you know uh like mark didn't even know till we till he came up here and we talked you know when i was in sephardic you know i was dealing with stuff and hiding it you know i, I still could barely see out of my left eye i had no balance i had no and i still somehow you know managed to get through sephardic and graduate you know and we just we just keep compensating and going and then uh right you know once once you once that's the thing is you're you're born with all the brain cells you're gonna have man <laughs> once they're gone they're gone and you know uh, it's it's hard you know it's hard for a lot of us to to accept that and you know uh, address those issues you know right absolutely right and and so just out of curiosity the the building fell on you 
on a deployment? Yeah, it was, uh, we had a, a Pakistani uh, suicide team that came up and uh, hit us in JBAD. And the first V-bit that hit the compound uh, was so big that it collapsed uh, part of the building that I was in, I was sleeping in. So I don't, I don't remember a whole lot from that night, but I guess uh, some of the guys like, yeah, you came crawling out from <laughs> what was left, man. You were bleeding everywhere. You fished your shit out, you know, or you're kidding, like, let's go. You know, so, you know, and then, um, yeah, it was a couple of days up in Bogham before it kind of started like, oh, shit, man, I'm in Bogham, you know, what the fuck, you know. Uh, so, but apparently I worked on like six Afghan uh, soft guys. Uh, I think from what I heard was five lived. Um, but I don't remember that. Oh, wow. So, and, and the, uh, and, and so just kind of switching uh, angles quickly. A lot of guys listen to the podcast who are, uh, you know, younger guys looking to either join the army or already in the army, and they want to go the uh, SF route. Um, and then there's a lot of guys who are interested in and in becoming like 18 deltas or you know a soft medic. Um, can we just like kind of break down quickly the process of that of, of going through a selection? Um, I'm going through a course rather, and uh, and like how long it took and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I think Mark's smarter than me. So when I went through the 18 Delta course, so, you know, it's 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 uh, it's a little intimidating because as far as the Q course, the way it works, when someone goes to selection, they go to selection. And then after selection, you get signed your MOS and then you begin. The, it, now it's called the pipeline. But like uh, so there's different stages where you receive your you know, you train together no matter what your MOS is to include the officers. And then there are certain times where you focus on your specialty, whether it's weapons, uh, the engineers, uh, combo guys, or the medics, or, or the officers, the 18 alphas. Um, so for the 18 Delta side, it is, uh, it's like twice as long as everybody else's. So like the guys, both Mark and I uh, started the Q course with, had been on a team like a year before we even graduated. Um, because there is a, as far as 18 Delta uh, training goes, there is a, um, you know, our scope of practice is probably the broadest of, of any type of medical uh, professional. It's everything from veterinary medicine to dentistry to family health to um, OBGYN, uh, trauma, trauma I mean, tropical medicine. Yeah, tropical, I mean, you name it. So it's, it's academically uh, intimidating and, and very challenging. And it's not uncommon during the Delta course where you have, you study three, four hours a night, you're studying five, six hours on the weekend, or at least I had. Oh, yeah. oh sure. uh, um, So that's, that's part of it. But, you know, like I, I had mentioned earlier, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm happy. I was in eight, an 18 Delta uh, because it provided me the opportunity to, you know, practice medicine uh, and practice is, is the key term there. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that didn't keep me from doing all the, you know, the SF skills, you know, I was, I was a Sephardic grad. I was a sniper as well. I, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm running around with a red cross on my, on my armband and I'm just going from guy to guy treating people. No, you're, you're, you're a, you're a green beret first, but then a medic, you know? Absolutely. Right. And, um, and and the, I guess the, it's kind of interesting, at least on the Green Beret side, is uh, guys will have their specialty and then be cross-trained in, in other specialties on a team. 
So it, it uh, it's interesting, like kind of of a contrast, like you know, you're you're sniper qualified, right, Mike? Right. But like in, um, you know, you read books, you hear stories, or, or other guys from other soft units talk about uh, some some of their experiences overseas, and um, you know, like a lot of direct action sniper stuff, like you know, Overwatching an assault team, that kind of thing. But it, I guess it's a little different on a twelve man team when your specialty is a medic, but you're also a sniper. So I guess you're like carrying a lot of shit. Yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, you nailed it right there. <laughs> I'm sure Mark can attest. It depends on the mission and where you're needed most, you know. I mean, we just we just wear a lot of hats, just like everybody else on the ODA, you know. I mean, one has, you know, primary and secondary and tertiary duties, depending on what you're doing, um, you know. But it's just uh, it's, um, it provides a lot of opportunities. It definitely provides a lot of opportunities. If, if you're a medic or 18 Delta or, or soft medic, uh, you know, um, uh, there's, there's definitely a lot more uh, opportunities and, and I don't want to say better, just uh, broader experiences. And what uh, what is the time frame? Like if a, let's say someone goes to the 18 X-ray program, they graduate basic and then they start their, their uh, training through the SF pipeline. What, what can they expect in terms of timeline to actually make it through and graduate? Oh, wow. All right. So. I'll tell you. So uh, a real good friend of mine, uh, he was uh, uh, in the Irish Army. He was in the Army Ranger Wing, like they're their CAG guys uh, that I met when I went to the Irish sniper course. You know, I got a, I was uh, when I was teaching here, um, I got an opportunity to go over there and I attended their sniper course. You know, me and, and my sniper buddy at the time uh, were like the only two Americans to ever go and graduate that course. But uh we went, so there was a guy there, and he said, hey, I want to come to America. I want to be a Green Beret. I'm like, all right, man, well, let's stay in touch. You know, the cyber community is really small, even globally. I mean, you know that, John. It just seems like we all know each other, you know. Uh, it's a very incestuous community. So um, so the guy hit me up like a year later, or no, not a year, about three years after that. He was like, hey, Rod, I'm in the States. I'm married to an American. I'm putting my pack together x-ray. I'm like, all right, cool. Hey, I'll help you out. Whatever we got to do. I mean, I said, look, man, uh, we had space, so him and his wife – uh, they lived with me for about six months, I think. Um, they lived up, you know, in, in our bonus room, and he got selected to be AT Delta. That's what he wanted to do. It took him over two, just short of three years to to get through the course. So three years of constant training, wow. uh, and then he graduated, and now he's a third group eighteen Delta, um, you know, overseas right now, doing doing the good stuff. Oh wow! So it's like just under three years from. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it also that a lot of that hinges on on your language. Like, what language? Because some languages are because language school uh, is is different. For, obviously, it doesn't take as long to learn Spanish as it would Arabic. You know, right. um, so a lot of that has to do with your language uh, and whether you get recycled. You know, like so I said, like uh, I, I had to. I I recycled the, the course. I got one opportunity to try it again. Um, um, you know, that's why I'm saying, I think, I think Mark was smarter. He probably shot straight through the thing, but, uh, I had to oh, recycle no. <laughs> and, uh, and in my class, uh, there was 16 of us when I graduated and there was only four, four guys that didn't recycle of, of the 16 guys that I graduated with. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So, and, and, uh, so Mike also, um, you are you still do you still have your your blade that you just made up available 
Yeah. So yeah. So my uh, yeah my throat punch or it's not it was uh actually it was original name but it's called a tech bottle. Yeah. So uh, um, believe it or not, the design of that you know. Uh, so I I'm I'm a big knife guy. You know, I think all of us are. Um, but as I matured, I was like, man, I don't need to carry a big old knife. You know, I just need something to monopolize on, you know, instinct uh, and and physiology, you know, and the, the, and the, I like push daggers, you know, like a T-handle push dagger. That's what I carried. You know, I was I knew how to throw a punch. Some people could throw punches better than others, but you're born with that instinct, you know, and for knife fighters, like for knife fighting, you know, it requires thousands and thousands of hours of training in order for you to employ that in a high stress situation to where it becomes muscle memory, you know? So, you know, today's combat has evolved, right? So we don't, I don't care. I don't train in fencing either. I don't train, I don't carry bow and arrow into, in, in the combat, you know, uh, things are a little different. Uh, but I, I, I do believe in combatives. Um, so I wanted to be able to monopolize on that, but all the knives that were out there, they were, if the second you open, you know, my concern was I wanted, if I was in a knife fight, that means things went sideways, first of all. And right. I just needed to create space between me and my target. So I get to my secondary, get to my primary, improve my tactical position and run away or, or whatever. But all the knives that were in existence that were out there, T handled that I found, uh, you open your hand, move to grab your pistol or something, then you've lost control of it. So I designed a knife um, that has a ring on it. You know, it's kind of like a ring, uh, you know, um, but it's a T-handle push knife. And it's uh, so now you can employ it, create space between you and your target, and you can uh, employ your weapon. Uh, You can climb. And if you pull the knife out and the situation de-escalates, well, then I can place hands on my target and, you know, flex cuff them, zip tie them, whatever I got to do. Um, but I still have the knife in my hand. So if things, if I need it, it's still there. Um, so that's, that's the one. And, and, and believe it or not, like Mark's story, uh, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's the perfect reason. So when I was designing it, you know, Mark's story, Mark's story, along with, you know, kept ringing in my mind, you know, and I showed Mark, I, I showed Mark, Hey Mark, what do you think of this? You know, he was, he's the only guy I've known that's ever been in a situation that hand to hand, you know, dispatched <laughs> of an enemy. He's the only guy I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure there's not many out there. You know, after this this airs, you'll probably get a bunch of guys saying, "Yeah, I did it too." But uh, <laughs> but seriously, so I, I Mark was my was my like test bed. I'm like, Mark, what do you think? What was he's like, dude? You know, and I'll let Mark tell you you know what he said or what he yeah, thought. I about mean, him, you know? I mean, you know, and, and Mike hit it right in the head, man. I mean, you know, all the knife fighting shit you see on TV and in movies. I mean, look, here's the deal, you know. It's like anything else. Like Mike said, you got to spend thousands upon thousands of hours on one single tool that you got to use, right? Now, again, the biggest thing that we always had was transitioning from, I mean, because like you said, if you're in a knife fight, you fucked up already. Shit's already been gone downhill. But let's say it does happen. I don't want to have to throw my knife away to pull my pistol, right? Because let's say... I strike the guy with a pistol to create space, right? And now my my pistol's all fucked up. And now I got to find my knife again. It's laying somewhere in the dark. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then again, I wanted. I've always liked, um, you know, push handle things like you know, my brass knuckles are the same way, right? Uh, and you know, but, but the knife has to be sturdy enough and built well enough that you know you can actually punch through somebody and do some serious damage. Because right. believe it or not, it's not like in the movies, man. I mean, it's not like, 
you see it all the time. They get stabbed in the gut and then they die immediately. They just drop. You know, like, dude, it don't happen that way. Right. You know, I mean, you got to put a lot of holes, man, unless you see cut something vital. They're not going to drop. And it's still, even with that, I mean, you can, you can, you know, see cut somebody's descending aorta. It's still going to take about 30 seconds to bleed out. Right, and, so you still got 30 seconds to potentially yeah, have to deal with this. Exactly. And and that's where, you know, that's why when, when I saw the one that Mike has built, dude, I was like, I fucking love it. You know, uh, now my whole fight team is like putting in orders. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, they were like, hey, why do we need a knife? I was like, because if you don't, I'm going to fucking break you open. They're like, Roger that. We all need knives. <laughs> now, I mean, you know. These guys, man, you know, they, they have a they have a fighting mentality as well. So they definitely saw it and they're like, man, this is pretty cool. You know, so, uh, yeah, we got a couple orders coming through for sure. Nice. For sure. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, I use Mark, but I also read a lot of, like, Rex Applegate's stuff. And I talked to a guy that worked with Rex Applegate for 16 years. He was a good friend of mine, Bill Harzi. And I'm like, hey, you know, I don't plan in a bubble, man. I, talk, I don't think – I know I don't know everything, you know, but I know how to use my resources. So I talked to a lot of people. Um, I looked at – a lot of the institutional knowledge that was out there, I looked at what's employed, you know, and it really when it, for those of us that have been in those situations um, where it's, you rely on instinct and training and there's nothing against the fighting arts. I think it's beautiful. I love seeing a guy flip a blade around and all this fancy, I think it's, I'm like, wow, that's, you're good. But you know what? As a combat leader, I will never, ever tell my guys, look, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing this. If, if there's knife fighting training, that's probably very low on my training schedule you know, or priorities of work. You're going to be learning. You need to be on the range. You need to be doing PT. You can do some combatives, combo training, medical training, you know, with, with the, 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 the efficiency of today's warriors, not just within the soft community. There's, there's so many things they got to be proficient on that'll make them that much better to spend thousands of hours on a certain technique that you'll probably never use. Right. You know, it's a game of Tetris of time. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't see the application for it. You know, I still think it's beautiful. I love seeing it, man. I've seen a lot of eels. I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. I don't have the time for that. Right. I mean, it's kind of like if you think about it, right? I mean, if you're going to do combatives, right, and the only thing you train on is a heel hook, right, and you're sitting there going, okay, how many times are you going to shoot in a full kit? And get a heel hook on somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, there's more to it than that. And that's where the application of, um, you know, um, of where, where Mike's knife was. And I was like, you know, he sent me uh, uh, one of them, you know, and I was just like, dude, it's beautiful, man. I love the way it sits in my hand, you know. Um, and even though I'm a pipe hitter, you know, my hands are small. But, uh, you know, so it was, uh, I just like, you know, and, and you got to feel how it feels, you know, uh, you can have the best blade on the books, but it feels like shit. Well, then most people aren't going to carry it, right. you know, um, and I just love the way it sat out or he tried it out, um, uh, on my kit, um, uh, and it cut deep, it cut deep, let's put it that way, so now I just got to find out how to, to sharpen that one knife you sent me, man. <laughs> um, and yeah, now, I definitely. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that's a, it definitely works. And uh, Mike, where can people go if they're interested in uh, getting uh, one of the blades? Yeah, so, so um, uh, you know, I've never sold anything I've ever made. Everything I've ever made, I've either given to, 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 to people that, you know, I've, uh, I've, that I, you know, as, as a gift or a thank you or like, like, you know, I've, I've, uh, 
you know, Mark has one, you know, um, and, uh, you know, President Bush has some of my stuff. Prince Harry has some of my stuff. I've never sold anything. Everything I've ever made, I've donated for auction or I've given to, to people that I, I care about, nice. you know, as a gift. So, but CRKT picked up my design in their Forged by War uh, product line. Um, and if you go to CRKT.com, uh, you'll see it. Uh, you'll see it on there, man. Uh, and you can order it. It's like 89 bucks, I think, or 80 bucks. So it's affordable. It's nothing crazy. It's, it, and that was one of my concerns is I, I wanted it to have a lower price point so guys can afford it. You know, troops can afford it. And uh, so if you go to CRKT.com, just look at all the Forged by War designs. You'll see mine. You'll see how my wife's got a design in there as well. Nice. Um, um, so you'll, you'll find it on there. All right. Cool, man. Uh, yeah. And, and I think I saw you post something about a, like a contest you were having for, for it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah KT did a contest, uh, did a contest for it, you know, uh, you had to watch the video and stuff. Now there's a, right now they just, uh, they just released my wife's video. Uh, she has a combat stripping tool for medics. Uh, uh, you gotta check it out. I think hers is genius, man. When she designed it, I was like, as an 18 Delta, I ain't gonna lie, man. My ego was a little hurt. Cause I'm like, shit, <laughs> I should have thought of that. God dang it. You know? Um, but yeah, just going to, anyone can go to SarahKD.com, man. And, uh, um, you know, uh, it'll, they can find it, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Cool, man. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was great having you guys on. Mike, it was great having you back and, uh, um, you know, it, it's cool to, to get together and do this, man. No, Hey John, I, I really appreciate it, man. I mean, I really appreciate giving, uh, you know, giving, uh, not just me and, and, and Mark, uh, the opportunity to come on your show, but you know, for everything you do for, for the entire community, man. I mean, really, I, I, I listen to your podcast. I feel like I know a lot of your guests already, man. You know, uh, you're doing a fantastic job uh, for the community. And, you know, like, you know, when I talked about some of the educational uh, pieces that's for the civilians, man, uh, I think you're, 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 uh, you're helping people you'll never meet, my friend. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, Mark, before we get out of here, uh, can you drop some uh, social media handles or website for anyone who might be interested in uh, keeping up with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, we're out in Missoula, Montana, but it's uh, Mission Ready Academy. Um, and we have, uh, like I said, um, uh, Anderson Silva's longtime uh, Jets coach. Shaw uh, is coming down this summer. Uh, we got uh, Professor uh, Yamakasi, who's a... Uh, world champion uh we're actually going to the pan ams here uh, next month um we got me there um and, and and right now what i'm trying to put together is a is a veteran oriented uh training session you know, maybe like three or four times a week um and you know where guys can just come in you know and, and get some exercise get out of maybe get out of their shell a little bit you know uh, it's run by an operator you know um for a uh, veteran, of course, you know, and just say, Hey, you know, you don't ever have to fight. You don't ever have to come into to KBA cage fight or whatever, but just get out of your shell, man. Come in and hang out, man. And, and, and train a little bit with us, you know, and there's no ego. There's none of that shit going on there. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, it was great having you guys on, man. And I just want to thank you guys for your service and, um, you know, hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, definitely. Brother. Absolutely. Thank you. Mark and Mike are some awesome dudes, man. They, served for a long time and sacrificed a lot during their service. And, you know, during those years in service, they went through and experienced their injuries, 
specifically the TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. And I think it's so important that veterans can have a place where they can talk about that. And I, I appreciate them coming on and, and opening up like that. And I think more guys who are willing to talk about it only will only help, will only encourage other veterans who are going through some of these uh, injuries that are related to brain injuries to, you know, step up and get help and it'll be better for everyone that way, you know? So I really appreciate having those conversations on here. And, um, you know, like I said, those guys are awesome. So, you know, once again, the link for Mike Lamb, the, uh, British army combat medic friend of Chantel Taylor, who is a frequent guest and host of the podcast. He recently passed away due to cancer and, um, the the link for the GoFundMe account, which will be helping out their family, will be in the podcast notes. So be sure to check that out if you can. If you can help out, that's great. Um, and yeah, with that, we'll close out this podcast. My website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook account is FB Recon. My Instagram account is IG Recon. I have a second account. It's called Black Ops Matter. And there's a third account. It's Chantel Taylor's account, but I, I'm also on there at times. And the account is mission underscore critical. Check it out. You can catch me on Twitter at IG Recon. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search Global Recon. Uh, be sure to subscribe, download, and share these episodes with your friends and family. Uh, that way it'll help keep us at the top of the iTunes government and national categories. Uh, if you're not on iTunes, if you're if you have an Android phone... Uh, check us out on SoundCloud. Just search Global Recon Podcast. And um, we have some cool cool guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. So you guys will be getting some interesting uh, conversations. All right. We'll see you in a couple of days. Peace. Peace.